the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is our first episode for 2017, and it's episode 316. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Bill Bennett. And I'm Ross McDougall. Well, welcome along, guys. Uh, great to have you both on this episode. Uh, Bill here with us in the studio. Oh, uh, yeah. Can't keep me out. <laughs> good, good to have you back and uh, happy new year. You too, Paul. And Ross. How's it yeah, going for you there, Ross? here from Cambridge. How's it going? How's it going? Very thankful. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I've uh, moved down to Cambridge recently, so it's nice to uh, nice to catch up with everyone and uh, talk over the power of the interweb. Yes, it's good technology in action. Um, well, let's mm. uh, let's let's jump into the topics now. Um, Ross, it's been a while since we caught up, but uh, you've just been at CES, so. Uh, we thought it'd be good to uh, good to plug you in for some of your opinions. Now you've been there uh, with Lenovo. You're on their sort of influencer program because you because of your social media yeah. following and so on. Yeah, yeah. So my my uh, my primary use of social media is as a musician, an artist. Um, uh, we've developed quite a, an extensive social media following because of that. Uh, my other interests outside of music are tech, technology, anything. Um, Anything cool and interesting in the mobile and gaming area. So I've uh, I've partnered up with Lenovo in, as part of their Lenovo Insider Group for a few years now. So um, this is my first time attending CES as a guest of Lenovo. Um, literally got back uh, yesterday morning. Um, had a blast, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch up about that. Cool. We'll be interested to hear some of your insights. And for uh, any listeners who are, are new to the show. Um, Bill, where do you fit into this world of uh, technology and, and journalism? Well, I'm still a tech journalist, really. Um, still write for various people like the Herald occasionally, New Zealand Business, um, and so on. You'll find my copy around the place. Um, have my own website, which has been a bit quiet over the summer, but it's just get, kicking back into gear now. Um, and I do good. bits and pieces elsewhere. Yeah. My name turns up. It does, it does, and, and has done for a long time, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. So, always, uh, always good to have you on the on the podcast. And uh, as for me, I'm founder of a small uh, technology services firm, uh, Gorilla Technology, and uh, yeah, pretty regular commentator on all things uh, tech and, and and businessy related. Uh, well, let's let's jump in now. Today marks the uh, the tenth anniversary of the iPhone getting announced, which is. Uh, uh, rather an auspicious occasion, I guess. We look we look back. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't today that it became available because it was a few months after the announcement that it first became available. And of course, it wasn't months, available yeah. in New Zealand either. After uh, initially after being being no. launched, it was uh, it was I think the year following that we started to see the iPhone uh, become available in uh, in New Zealand. Although they trickled in with people bringing them back from overseas. Yeah, you're mm. right. Mm. Um, what are your memories of that, Bill? It's um, you know, it's it's going back quite a way. I mean, we we had uh, you know that that very first iPhone. Of course, as you said, they were only really trickling in. But you know, the first iteration of the first version of of uh, of of iOS was um, you know limited in that there was no app store. There were there was a, a pretty limited lineup of apps. There were there was no uh, push email at that stage. 
the handset was a two two G or two point five G handset, so there wasn't enough performance to do uh, you know a whole lot of fancy stuff unless you're on Wi Fi. No, there wasn't. I, I got to see one fairly early in the piece because a colleague bought back one back from overseas not long after they first became available. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, well, it's, I mean, if you remember, if you think back, the screen was actually tiny by comparison with it um, was, yes. today's um, iPhones. And I remember thinking, okay, this is obviously sort of important, but it, I had no idea just how important that was going to be, just how much um, it changed everything. Now, being a long-term journalist, I'm really not very keen on cliches and so on, but I read somewhere the other day someone saying that it was a game-changer, and I think that's probably about the one time you can legitimately use that cliché without looking a bit of a you know a bit of an idiot but it was it actually did change the it didn't just change the phone market it changed everything and it's probably I don't know, if I go back I mean I've been around in tech for a long long time I mean I was actually there when the first IBM PC was launched I was there when the first Apple Mac was launched and I was actually there before that when CPM machines and so on were coming onto the market um, I reckon there's been three important waves four if you count the initial wave which was mainframes the first one was the mini computer probably in the 70s second one was the um what was originally called the microcomputer but became the pc which was around about the late 70s early 80s and then the iphone i think those are the those are the waves that we've had and i think we're very much still in that post iphone era I mean, pretty much everything that's happened in the last five years in tech has been informed by the iPhone, if not directly, it's not a direct consequence necessarily, but it's been informed by that. I mean, the fact that everyone in the Windows world uses touch today is a consequence of the iPhone, for example. So um, was it a revolution? Yeah, I think it was. Did it look like a revolution at the time? I wasn't so sure. I mean, when I first saw one, I was I was actually slightly underwhelmed by the um, the um, the physical gadget. But when I saw, I think it was the second or third one, I realised that that yeah, this was it. It improved very quickly, didn't it? It did improve quickly. Yeah, but the, that that uncertainty was one of my earliest memories as well. I I was a uh, I purchased the iPhone three G um, very very early once they were available in New Zealand, and uh, I still to this day remember being in the store. The store person was actually trying to sell me the Nokia E seventy one. My wife had the E seventy one, so I had a lot of hands on with that. And uh, even for myself, the the lack of a physical keyboard was uh, was nearly the deciding factor in that um i probably had quite a um uh standard uh use i guess my my band at the time was um flying out to do a three-month tour of southeast asia and japan and i was re and all i could do was carry on luggage so i was that uh user that was trying to eliminate the need for taking a laptop with me and, and a camera and a um a phone and this and that so my initial plan was to take a, a small Ultrabook. Well, they weren't small back then, but you know, a, a very small laptop and the E seventy one. I had a, um, a salesperson in the store convince me to get the the iPhone three G, and uh, yeah, that was that was my earliest memory. I didn't remember. I don't remember the launch per se, um, but yeah, I remember the three G and being very excited about that. 
I remember trying to tap out some words on the iPhone screen keyboard, just, you know, because because I'm a journalist, that's what I do. And I thought, stuff this, and went and bought a BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I got the three I got the three G. Uh, I guess it was probably at, at at launch time, and at that stage, iOS could handle uh, Active Sync, so it could you know synchronize mm. your your business email and your contacts and all those sorts of things. But it seemed as though they hadn't really tested it with people that had a large number of contacts. So basically, I found it was it was an absolute dog uh, at trying to go through and to pick people out of out of my contacts to to the point where I had to return it uh, because it was just completely unproductive for me to uh, uh, to use. So I go through looking for people, and um, yeah, it was it was just way too slow. Yeah, I think I switched on around about the next generation after that. Um, I, I just thought, but by then it was mature enough for what I wanted to do. Um, and pretty much ever since. I mean, I've, I've, I've used lots of other phones, lots of Androids, lots of Windows phones and so on. Um, there's something about the iPhone which is it's a class act all the way through in a way that, I mean, most Android phones just don't cut it. And the thing is the you problem... You keep saying that, Bill. I know, I know. And it's, and, 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 and I've been saying that for years. And I, and I, and I, and I get misinterpreted because people think that means I hate Android and so on, which I don't really. It's just that um, Android has issues and it's it's not as polished or as finished. as And it's, it's just, it's not about the, um, the cachet or the marketing or some drinking some magic juice that makes you think this stuff. I mean, it actually is productive. If I've moved back on to another phone, I don't, I'm not as productive. It's that simple. But that's I the same. I understand that. I, yeah. I'm, I'm an Android guy um, after having the 3G. And uh, I do like what Android can provide, but I, I can definitely understand that when you have a hardware and software proprietor, um, you know, uh, releasing things uh, seamlessly, you don't have the, um, as much of the fragmentation that you may do yeah. uh, with with Android and moving between various carriers and various brands um, uh, with a lot of bloatware and carrierware. Um, so no, I, it's a completely understandable um, opinion. I, I get that. Now, when when I look back, the there were obviously things that Apple uh, did from the software perspective that were quite groundbreaking. From a hardware perspective, really the key was that they were the first to fully embrace the capacitive touchscreen. So before that, uh, touchscreens were resistive touchscreens, and to get a good result out of them, you you really needed to use a stylus. I right? had one of those. I had a Motorola monochrome screen flip phone thing with a stylus i've forgotten the num the model number or whatever but it was probably four or five years before the iphone came along and you could just about write stuff on it and it was it was it looked kind of star trekky in the well, time and you'd had palm that it did things yeah there was, uh, you know windows uh, mobiles at, at the time which when you looked at just at the pure capabilities of the iphone email and you know various apps and and you know gps and bits and pieces you could say well windows uh was able to do most of that but Bloody it wasn't it wasn't disruptive it wasn't easy to use because you were using the stylus no. 
And and Apple really turned that on its head by making something that people just loved to use. They were happy to move away from their Blackberries, which were also popular at the time with a physical keyboard. Uh, and they just seemed to get the all of the right bits and pieces uh, lining up reasonably quickly. I mean, it took them a few releases to really get into a into a good uh, rhythm and to start winning some reasonable market share. But you know, I think I think in hindsight, Apple managed to do such a good job of that because um, the the P, its PC business at the time was a bit of a mess, and um, I think it managed to do a good job because it managed to dump a lot of that legacy stuff. I mean, the problem with Microsoft is Microsoft, as a company, have always had to worry about the last 25 years or so of whatever they've done. And it's always been a big deal in their inside their heads as much as anything. Whereas with Apple, Apple just said, well, okay, we're starting fresh. We've got a clean slate here. Let's do something new. And that's, I think that's part of the success. Ross, what what are your thoughts? How and how much do you think the App Store played into the uh, success of the the iPhone over time? Well, one thing I found uh, today, which I found really interesting, was a piece from the Telegraph where it was uh, explaining how the world reacted to the first iPhone ten years ago. So you had uh, uh, it had snippets from various people. We've got quotes here from Steve Barmer saying that they would have no chance of a significant market share. Saying if you uh, took a look at the one point three billion phones that get sold, I'd prefer to have our software in sixty percent or seventy percent than I would have to have two or three percent, which he estimated Apple might get. So uh, we're, we're I guess is, when you look at Apple, they they actually when you look at it from a market share perspective uh in some ways um Barmer was right there in that you know they don't uh they don't have the significant sort of market share in in smartphones android owns owns the market share but from a well, profitability perspective yeah. it's very different and that's yeah. i mean it's certainly a lot more than the one or two percent that but that's uh, the big error that that's the trap that people fall into they 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 confuse market share with value and it's not that doesn't necessarily well, apply. And, and Apple have become the, the the most successful company really in in, in history, the most profitable company um, because of the iPhone. Right? Yeah, and, that, I, yeah, and that's 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 the bias that a lot of Android users have when they talk about market share, market share, market share. But it's the the as a as a base, it's so fragmented because you have such a wide range and quality. Of, of Android products, um, so you're right. So it's not so much looking at the market share, but the value and the uh, uh, the, the, the profits that have been generated. Um, going back to your point, yeah, I, I, I was a huge fan of the uh, the app marketplace. It's done some amazing things for our um, for our industry in terms of audio um, and musicians and uh, streaming services and what have you. Uh, from a gaming perspective, it was uh, obviously changed mobile gaming. Uh, took years for Nintendo to really respond to that. They only just released their first iPhone game, Mario Runner, literally uh, a month ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a lot of a lot of companies have been playing catch up in regards to that in terms of the um, uh, the App Store in app purchases and just how much that's completely changed the gaming um, the gaming industry. And even apps in general, you'll have a look at the most popular apps. They're all free. Um, the way in which we consume information and consume experiences now uh, and our comfort level with in-app purchases. And it's been fascinating watching the concept of freemium or free-to-play or um, um, in-app purchases or subscription subscri- 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 models 
um, mold and change with what the App Store has been able to do and provide and, and responding to uh, how we want our information, how we want to consume it, and how we want to pay for it too. And I think there's an, there's an irony that I just love, which is one of the best iOS apps or some of the best iOS apps come from Microsoft as well. Isn't that just, isn't that just beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I remember a few years ago, I looked at the top 100 Android apps, and only three were purchase apps. Everything else was free to use, free to play. And yeah, and I think you know we all uh, we all certainly benefit from that. But there's plenty of money that uh, that's being uh, generated from apps, and Apple again are in the are in a very very strong uh, position there. And uh, announced uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I think I saw an email from them, you know, highlighting that they'd broken all all previous records with uh, with sales through the the app store, and they're generating significant uh, you know profits off that particular that particular part of their uh, their business. Actually, a funny thing happened to me this morning, which is um, not not directly related to the iPhone, but I I found my um, my old iPod, you know, the old iPod Classic. And I thought, what would be great to just make sure that I got all, make all sure all the music is in sync across these devices. And I spent about thirty seconds with the iPod, thinking, how the hell does Wi-Fi work on this? Until I realised, until I remembered <laughs> that it didn't. And I just thought, how quickly you forget that you know something like Wi-Fi um, is just so ubiquitous now. But it's not that long ago when it was it was a bit exotic. Mm, mm. Um, I just pulled up those those uh, stats on the uh, the App Store. So Apple's 2016 revenue through the App Store 28 billion US dollars, uh, 20 billion of that going back into developers' pockets. So you know, really they've they've created uh, you know a, a way for developers to generate uh, really significant revenue there, yeah. and of course you know, around eight billion of that. Um, or, or twelve billion New Zealand dollars. So you know, when we think of that, uh, in in light of um, yeah, New Zealand's biggest companies and so on, you know, the amount of uh, of revenue that's going through that is is just is just phenomenal. And that's just uh, just the App Store more than your business, Paul. Um, <laughs> significantly, actually, Bill. In this case, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also fascinating that the, the like you said we've got a ridiculous amount of uh, revenue being generated but the type of revenue that's now being generated we look now in terms of the service as a platform um, products that we're using to consume our media such as Netflix and Spotify Google Music Apple Music and the the evolution of these as viable platforms uh and the way that we're consuming information. You know, we were, uh, you know, a, an earlier concerned about storage sizes. And it's been great to see the evolution of storage size. You know, my gaudy little 16 gig 3G now compared to the SD cards I can put into my phones now. But even just the, the, um, 
the way in which we're consuming and purchasing uh, goods and the fact that we're the comfort levels we have now about not purchasing items but pur- purchasing services, uh, subscription models, uh, um, uh, licensing fees uh, as opposed to tangible physical items that we used to uh, go into stores to purchase it. It's been fascinating to see the evolution of that, especially as a musician in terms of our um, revenues dropping you know, with physical items to now more the fact that your streaming um, subscriber counts now be encountered against your chart sales as well. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty good. I guess the mu- the music industry has changed significantly over the last uh, you know, ten to fifteen years as well. And uh, you know, I guess it would be fair to say that Apple have have had a, probably a positive and a negative impact on that in uh, in ver- varying ways or, or to, you know technology has and uh, apple have certainly played a, a big part of that in that picture yeah a lot of the consumers and artists now are getting quite comfortable with the fact that these licensing models are for the traditional services of platform offerings uh you're not paying so much for the artist you're paying for the uh the ability to have a service such as that as with a licensing model. Um, a lot of musicians now are having to diversify their income. Um, it was very hard to make money off CDs. It's even damn near impossible to, to make any type of viable income from streaming services. But we're changing the way in which we see what a, our actual music does. It's, it's more about getting them to the shows, getting them into the doors, using other means to generate income, T-shirts, merchandise oh, uh, vinyl vinyl is making a great resurgence in that's, our genre because uh they're collector items you know what, people are this scene is retro people actually are now collecting physical vinyl discs i know people that collect them and don't even play them uh it's been fascinating to see just uh how that's changed our industry yeah one of the things i've talked about on here before is how that hasn't happened for journalism which is just a damn shame i'd love to go on tour <laughs> <laughs> I, I work with um, some um, ex ex journalists from, uh, and the, yeah, I, we've we've had that chat in terms of uh, the value of information and the value of of products and uh, and how it can definitely be seen as watered down when we're going to a subscriber based. Uh, um, service as a platform the the actual tangible item that you're consuming is nowadays almost um has no value yeah. because of the the small amounts that we're now paying for it someone like me in terms of a hobbyist musician that's fine but when you're a writer or a creative or an artist well, that's actually putting trying to put um you know bread on their plate it's it's a very very difficult area to uh just simply rely on that as your income and uh at the the many redundancies we're seeing in turn the, the shrinking of these uh companies in terms of you know and even the quality of writing that we see now as well i get so sick of seeing articles that are just simply being grabbed from reddit and 4chan and imgur uh and a lot of the uh investigative journalism now is is unfortunately getting uh put in the wayside for the the uh, the clickbait style things that people are clicking on has been yeah that that in itself has been fascinating and somewhat disheartening to see that uh, that change as well. Not not an easy one to fix though, is it? Because uh, you know no. pe- people click on clickbait and uh, there aren't people to uh, to pay or people aren't so willing to uh, to, to fund the more investigative uh, type. Uh, journalism yeah, and the, the you know the, the very difficult uh, thing that I would not sp- try and pretend to know what the answer of that would be. Right, um, Bill, we do have an answer for you about going on tour as a uh, journalist. Join the grand tour. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> people have mentioned that I'm like those guys, which is a worry. <laughs> <laughs> Join Jeremy Clarkson and uh, Hammond and uh, yeah. May and, um, yeah, tour your own show around the world. Um, that's, um, that's quite an, an, an impressive feat from a journalistic perspective. But, you know, it's, it's kind a, it's of a, not it's journalism, a, though, is that really? It's a real extreme. It's entertainment. Yeah. It's yeah. entertainment. But, um, you know, we, we will have these extremes and... Um, that is the world in which we're we're in now, right? It's uh, yep. it's it's very very different, and we get a crossover across uh, all sorts of uh, of of media as well, at different mediums. Now, uh, on to I think we should jump on and have a bit of a chit chat around CES because this is the this is the time of year when uh, CES, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, takes place. It's now concluded in uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, lots and lots of things each year. I mean, it's just crazy how big CES uh, is, and uh, it seems to have shot way past the 150,000 uh, attendees that were there uh, last. I think it was 150 or 160,000 last time I uh, visited, which is uh, just on on two years ago. Um, yeah, I heard two to two 250 was floating around this year. Yeah. Uh, it, it really it, it varied depending on who you talk to, but I think 200 was being thrown around. It was uh, very uh, awe-inspiring to see that amount of people in one specific area in such a huge building. <laughs> it was, yeah, well, certainly the it bigger, was biggest sort of trade show that there would be uh, be in the world. I mean, I think it's reasonably easy to uh, uh, to to get in, but you are supposed to be in the uh, in in the in the tech or the the electronics trade in in some way. Um, now I'm I'm keen to chat to uh, chat to both of you around you know things that stood out. Um, one thing that jumped out for me, we've you know we've heard a lot about uh, wireless charging over uh, over the years, and here in New Zealand we've had Power by Proxy that have been working in that area and have varying patents and uh, you know working to. Uh, you know, really build a, a solid business out of uh, out of their inventions. Um, but one thing that that stood out was, um, and I'm not sure the pronunciation, but I've got it as the Ossia Kota um, charging technology that effectively looks a little bit like Wi-Fi. So where you're within a reasonable uh, distance of a of a signal, and I heard. Uh, uh, three to maybe thirty uh, meters being mentioned. Maybe it was um, th- uh, thirty feet. Actually, sounds more more realistic. Sounds more American. Um, yeah. Um, so, but but you know, if you think around, you know, varying technologies that we've uh, that we've that we've got today. There is an amount of uh, you know power that gets transmitted uh, wirelessly through these sorts of mechanisms, and what they're doing here with this um, uh, charging over the air is is really charging over quite a distance. And when we think of the wireless charging that's been in devices in recent years, usually you're you're virtually you know placing your device right on top of the physical charger. So in terms of uh, the benefit it's quite uh, it's it's not as as much as what you would like it to be because you're you know you're virtually plugging it in because you've got to put it in a particular space but with this technology if if they can uh, pull it off and it and it genuinely works uh, 
it seems pretty uh, pretty cool. Now it is very much a trickle charge, so it's quite slow. But you can imagine, you know, Bill, we're in a, a room here that's whatever it is, say three meters by by three meters, roughly. Um, yeah, this would be the sort of size room that you could walk into, and your and your devices, and this can handle a lot of devices in a, in a room at once. Um, mm. Would just automatically start charging once you're in the room. Well, the moment you say, the moment you said it looks a bit cool. No, it won't be cool. It would probably be hot, and that's the, and, <laughs> and that worries me. You, do you remember all the discussions about um, the dangers of cell phone signals and so on? And the reason we were convinced that's not the case is because the the amount of energy in those cell phone signals is actually so small. But that can't be the case if you're using wireless charging. There must be, I mean, by definition, there has to be quite a bit of energy going through mm-hmm. the air to do that. So I can see there's more like, I'm not saying it's going to be a health risk or whatever. I'm just saying it's more likely to ring those alarm bells than anything else that we've seen to date. Yeah, yeah it's if, interesting. If it isn't I mean, I'm sure it won't be. But uh, one, they're talking about one uh, watt, of, watt, one watt of power. So it's not a it's not a huge right, amount, okay. and that would be split between all of uh, all of the devices that are, uh, okay. that are picking up off a particular so, transmitter. So, so it's, it's yeah. pretty slow charge then. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So this this excites me. It. I had a theory a few years ago, um, which I've stuck to. Um, I we we back uh, a few years ago. Everyone was talking about battery technology and the improvements in battery technology. Uh, one thing that we are limited by uh, with advancements in these particular areas is literally physics and and, and making this technology smaller, uh, more efficient. Uh, we've there are a lot of smart people trying to you know make you know, batteries. Uh, more efficient, more powerful, and we are, you know, if you open up the uh, the phones, you know, a large area of these phones are dedicated to three and a half, four thousand, two and a half milliamp battery yeah. packs. Um, so the, the a few years ago, it was all about making the smaller. However, the concept of wireless technology for me gets me excited because what we're doing is we're making the solution of battery life not about the actual physical battery but the environments in which we're using them in this type of technology i can see being very popular in public transportation in the home office at home if you make your environment smarter um by constantly charging the devices the byproduct of that is we only need batteries for two to three hours of our days not 24 hours yeah, the like battery battery, the battery tech yeah. doesn't need to get smarter but the batteries will get smaller allowing us to do more of our phones because we can cram more technology into them so this type of technology for me is really exciting because not only can i see uh, being paying off dividends in terms of battery life and not having to charge but potentially making the batteries in our phones smaller because we don't need them as much uh opening up the ability to put more exciting um much more exciting type of functionality into the phones as they now literally have the physical space available. Well, that, that presupposes that the receiving equipment is actually smaller than batteries, which may... I don't know, is that the case? I, it uh, is. Well, I had a quick look on the okay. website. It looks like a microchip. Okay. It's, okay, it's, like yeah. a, it's the size of a micro SIM card. Right, so it, is, it really is small then. Mm. And we're used to yeah. uh, power being, uh, being transmitted at the moment. When you think of a... Um, a credit card or a smartphone that it, that is uh, doing a uh, you know a, a, a tap to pay pay wave that type of uh, tra- tra- transaction. 
you know, with PayWave, you've got you've got a credit card with no battery power in it, and when it, it takes the signal, that then has enough juice for the chip to be able to operate, do what it needs to do, and then uh, respond. So, so, induction so, thing, isn't it? Yeah. so there's um, so, yeah, you know, there's that transmission power. Playing the long game, but I'm 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 estimating that we're going to be quite comfortable with batteries that are four to five hours, simply because our environments are going to become so accustomed to wireless charging pretty much anywhere. Uh, like I said, very, very long estimate, but uh, that's where I think, I think the, the, the importance of making the battery technology smaller and smaller will become more and more redundant. Once this type of technology just be, become, goes everywhere. Now, in order for this to happen, um, you know, it would really need to get, become a standard and become really ubiquitous otherwise there's not a there's not a huge benefit of it is there so um no it has to it has to be one standard there can't be many that's right yeah we would would fall into that trap before uh usb with with android phones when everyone everyone and their grandma was creating crazy adapters and connectors and and uh until that got um uh, yeah, and, and until they just went across the board with that one standard connection. Mm. So yeah, you're right. You're, you're you're hoping for the likes of a Samsung or, or Apple to purchase this technology and slot slot it in every device and make it the the uh, the status quo. Well, maybe maybe not those big guys, but for it to become go through a you know a, a industry industry standard thing, where where well, where those guys sign yeah. up to it, yeah. Now, um, yeah, yeah. one of the other devices that seemed to get a lot of attention was LG's wallpaper TV. Now, I don't know whether you got a chance to uh, to see this one, Ross, but uh, I walked past it in awe. It was very big and beautiful. Two point five seven millimeters thick. I didn't know that. Uh, they had it against a wall, and it was a, a big display. They had lots of pretty actors throwing water and sand and the usual f- explosions of color that you see with these type of tech demonstrations. I was making a beeline for a particular area, so it was one of those, oh, look at that. That's very, very cool, carried on walking. But from what I the, the glimpse that I saw, it was gorgeous. It sounds uh, it sounds pretty amazing i'm not i'm not quite sure there was uh when i looked looked back through you know googling the idea of uh wallpaper tv uh the concept was touted going back uh, 18 18 months or or so ago and i think lg sort of showed something off uh where the the oled panel itself was something like a, a millimeter uh thick but uh, yeah what they've showed off here is um yeah, nearly a quarter of a, or just over a, a, a quarter of a, uh, a centimeter, which is uh, is pretty impressive. I don't quite know where where you get room to plug in your um, uh, your HDMI and, and and things like that, right? You uh, well, there won't be. It'll be like the uh, the MacBook. They won't put any ports on it because. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no way of powering it as well, right? Yeah. No, seriously, no, seriously. You'll have the, uh, the, the LG dongle yeah. for seventy nine ninety five. There'll be a, there'll be a brick hanging on the floor or something. Yeah, yeah. Your insta- your installers will yeah. uh, their their profits will go up because they'll put everything into the walls for you. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, once again, this this is normal for CES. That there's a whole, uh, you know, there's there's a whole lot of uh, new TVs and, and so on that have been shown off. But it does seem as though uh, LG have come out uh, looking looking very good with the, with the probably the coolest stuff uh, yeah, this year. I, one of the things about TVs at shows like that is an awful lot of them don't actually make it into the mainstream. I mean, they 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 get bought in ones and twos and so on. But they don't actually, you know, they look great at a show. They don't get bought. Well, some of them, some of them aren't, aren't launched into the into yeah. the market anyway. I know. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a Razer product that was that was much like that. They had a showing off a a laptop that had two additional expandable 4K screens. So the the primary screen you'd lift up, you'd press a button. Two other screens would come out on either side, so you had three 4K screens on a 180 degree kind of wraparound view. Uh, it looked gorgeous. Um, they will probably give a lot away to their gaming influencer people. I, I think maybe three or four people will buy it because uh, yeah. <laughs> it looked very, very expensive. And uh, I read this morning that they lost both prototypes. <laughs> uh, they're gone. They're offering a $25,000 reward to anyone that can find them. Apparently, they lost them during the packdown. And uh, they think that it might have been a bit of corporate espionage. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Eh? Well, yes, um, they should have been a little bit more careful. I would have, I would have thought with uh, such, yeah, such yeah, definitely a, a quick uh, and, check, uh, checklist. Where is our very expensive prototype that we only have two of? <laughs> it's probably sitting on Vladimir Putin's desk right now. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so t- I mean, TVs are you know a, a, a big one there, and I saw you know announcements through from from Sony, some of the smaller players as well, uh, incorporating things like uh, um, Amazon's Alexa going into all sorts of uh, devices, uh, and uh, t- t- I think uh, there was a was there a TV that was getting Amazon Alexa, uh, but Amazon's Alexa voice assistant seemed to be. Uh, Seem to be everywhere through lots and lots it and was. lots of anno- announcements, right? Um, it was uh, sort it was of definitely the, the the winner of the day in terms of the uh, uh, Amazon versus Google Home in terms of the products that I was seeing. Um, a, a lot of products, Lenovo as well. They're releasing a smart assistant powered by Alexia. Uh, I think May or June. Um, I we didn't. I didn't get a hands on. Unfortunately, uh, they were relying on a. Um, uh, Wi-Fi network that was a bit, bit, bit here and there, so I wasn't able to get too much of a hands-on. I had a hands-on of the product, um, just not the actual Alexia offerings. I'm very curious to see how um, these products and Amazon works in New Zealand. Uh, I, I don't know too much about what it can and can't do within our market, or if we even have Amazon Prime, which uh, well, which we we do to. have we do have the um, the the video service, but as far as Alexa is concerned. Um, Amazon have not made it officially available in many markets at all. I think last I looked, it was uh, about three US, US UK, yeah, UK, and is it France? Uh, it was, uh, it yeah, was it France was, it was or, very limited, or, or Germany. Yeah. Uh, so you can use it in New Zealand, and um, you know I've got one. Uh, we've got one here, and you know put it through its paces. And I remember we we uh, we used it for. Uh, a demo on 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 TV3 uh, News Hub uh, last year, and you know certainly it's sort of comical some of the the 
odd mistakes uh, that it makes, uh, its inability to, to really figure out uh, where you are because it doesn't, uh, it's not designed for you to have New Zealand as a location. Yeah. So it, it, it defaults to thinking that you're in, uh, in Seattle. Uh, you know, there's, there's a range of things. And I mean, it, it is a very good assistant, but you know, we have the same, uh, we have the same issue with Cortana from, uh, from Microsoft, uh, which, you know, you've got to, you can jump through some hoops to get it working. Um, but it's not, you know, fully geared up for, for the New Zealand market. Although it, it would be fair to say Microsoft are a lot further ahead on that front than, um, uh, than Amazon with uh, with the Alexa assistant, but you know you ask it to spell words, and uh, you know we we use this uh, some time ago. We were teaching uh, teaching my son Pablo around you know how how to spell simple words, and you'd ask it how to spell uh, mum, and it goes mom m o m. Uh, you know, not too relevant in New Zealand. There are lots of things yeah. like that, so we, we do need some uh, some work from Amazon to uh, to handle that localization. So it, it puts yeah, a big damper on on all of those announcements which were you know pretty numerous i think alexa going into cars washing machines uh you know speakers ford putting them in there uh, showed a demo of alexa and and um uh one of their cars in the c-max uh huawei with their their new mate 9 uh which i've spent a bit of time sort of testing out the um uh the 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 field of uh the the depth um with and how that compares to the iPhone over the last few weeks, and you know both of them are are quite capable on that front. But in the US, they're launching uh, with Amazon's Alexa, but of course that wouldn't be a whole lot of use in this market no. with it not being uh, not being fully uh, geared up for it. So um, yeah, it does put a bit of a damper on probably one of the one of the one of the things that uh, most media have highlighted as as one of the. Uh, you know, one of the bigger things from uh, from CES this year. Yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I mean, if it's being sold as an all-in-one hub uh, for your home and it limps out the gate in terms of uh, functionality in our region, that's going to be a hard sell, and it's going to be hard to win uh, consumers um, if, uh, like you said, it's not fully supported or. Um, and like I said, we've been we've learned from these issues of the likes of Cortana and the Xbox Connect and, and this and that. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping that it does. The, the products look great. And you're right. A lot of the uh, a lot of what I was reading while I was over there was the uh, uh, Alexia and uh, the the excitement about how integrated it was in a variety of products. So I'm hoping it that uh, it, it, they do work to make it fully supported here. It needs to be. It can't be half a product. Mm. Now, in terms of other things that uh, that CES is is big for, there were drones. Uh, there were some New Zealand products there. There uh, was a lot of drones. Z Mouse uh, underwater drone uh, that the Herald were, uh, were were covering off. Um, there, you know, there were a bunch of New Zealand companies there, which which was great. Uh, Faraday Future, who who last year were really hyping things up with what they were doing with their uh, electric uh, and autonomous uh, vehicle. Uh, were able to show that off, although their, their demo went uh, went slightly uh, amiss. The demo in the car park seemed to work well with their uh, vehicle able to uh, park itself, but I think that didn't didn't quite work properly uh, on on stage. Uh, there's Lucid Motors, who are another electric uh, vehicle um, startup out of uh, California, who seem to have a pretty uh, a pretty fast and and snappy car. 
Um, there lots. I walked past a Nvidia car. Nvidia, oh, yes. Nvidia had a self-driving car in the car park as well. Yeah, well, Nvidia um, have been producing a lot of the the technology for some time, and so, and I guess what we what we've ended up with was, is a number of players who are providing those sort of autonomous. Uh, piece of the technologies that enable autonomous uh, vehicles and also enable the entertainment systems. Uh, so you've also got uh, yeah, BlackBerry uh, who are playing in uh, in that space as well. There are you know, a group of a group of companies that are uh, that are really pushing hard, and it, it's a really exciting area because there is so much competition and because there's all this hype about it. Uh, of course, not all of the products are, uh, are living up to, uh, to to the hype, but it seemed that the uh, the vehicle from Faraday Future looked uh, looked good, and you know if we've got a, n- a number of um, I guess newer sort of you know, tech oriented companies that are coming into this space, plus the traditional automakers and and their suppliers such as Nvidia, um, you know then we should we should see. Um, I think pretty rapid development in this in this area. I think there's going to be a lot of merger and acquisition activity in that space as well. Um, I suspect that their um, their um, exit plans for some of these companies is Chrysler or Ford or. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that too. Yeah. It was, it'd be interesting to see what type of um, standardization is created, dependent entirely on which big players pick up what. Yeah. Especially the smaller players, you know, very hard for them to to build out global businesses uh, on on their own. And you know, yeah, well, Tesla have attracted a lot of attention, a lot of investment, so they're able to do that. In fact, um, I have to admit, I I went ahead and uh, put in my uh, deposit on the um, uh, on the Model Three from uh, from Tesla. Although I only just got around to doing it the last few weeks, so I'm well down the queue. Um, and I, I haven't a hundred percent decided whether uh, uh, whether I'll go ahead with it, but I thought, well, I'll put my deposit in, so I'm in the queue. Should I want to go down that uh, that track? And I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in this idea of uh, of you know having an autonomous uh, vehicle, and some of the work that Tesla are doing in that space is uh, is is pretty interesting. And and their most recent vehicles have extra sensors in them that that you know they say will allow complete autonomy so uh, yeah they responded to a product complaint and made an update within six days they, an article went out this morning about a twitter user complaining that the charging stations in their the car park near them were always full by the same culprits they were using them as car parks not charge stations <laughs> uh the area the area was quite popular uh had a lot of coffee shops this and that uh tesla responded saying we agree we know this is an issue and uh, would like to work on this six days later they rolled out an update to the app which will now do a push notification to users to tell them when their cars are fully charged and they have five minutes to get the car and they'll incur a 40 cent 40 cent fee for every five minutes they're over and if they get there within five minutes their fee is waived so they responded to the inquiry and made a product change within six days which is from a, all my customer experience friends and consultants were going gaga it was uh, it was fascinating to see how uh, how twitter responded to such a a, a very impressive ret- um, uh, return on uh, and the product improvement yeah car manufacturers usually respond in terms of years <laughs> 
And it exactly. is quite. It is, so, that one was quite interesting. I followed that when when the announcement uh, or when the news came out a, a, a week or uh, a week or, or or two back, and um, the there was some debate in terms of well, had they been working on this behind the scenes and so on, but they certainly played it very well. Where where they where they really where, they, where they certainly yeah. made it look as though they just pulled out all the stops to uh, to put this change in place. And um, you know what what uh, better way could there be to uh, to do it to say look, we're going to start charging you for this and we're going to do it because you've asked for it. I mean, that's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? So yeah. they're getting a pat on the back uh, for basically char- you know, char- charging people for something they weren't paying for in the past. I think it shows how quick it is to deal with software rather than something that's you know, mechanical. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could, it could speak a lot about their. I don't know what their development um, processes are like, uh, what their, you know, um, what the development cycles are like either. But you're right; it could it could speak a lot about the uh, the, the fluidity they have, perhaps in terms of internal um, development or their internal processes. Who knows? Um, mm. uh, it's, it's but like you said, great PR spin. Mm. Now, um, Hyundai were showing off some uh, exoskeletons, which they were. Uh, they were highlighting as, as I guess, bringing down the cost for exoskeletons. And you know, here in, in New Zealand, we're familiar with uh, Rex Bionics and the technology that that they have that uh, allows people that wouldn't uh, otherwise be able to walk uh, to walk. Now, the the technology from uh, Hyundai is certainly uh, going to come in at a much much lower price point. I think uh, the Rex Bionics uh, kit is somewhere in the direction of two hundred thousand. Uh, New Zealand dollars, um, but but you know it is a complete thing. Whereas the um, what I saw from uh, Hyundai was that the person had to use crutches as well as this uh, exoskeleton for uh, for somebody that wasn't able to walk otherwise. Uh, but you know it's it's uh, it's good to see you know new generations of these types of technology become available and really able to help uh, people that wouldn't be walking otherwise to uh, to be able to uh, walk so you know this is uh, this is a good good improvement and i think it'll be it'll be curious to see you know when when we look forward over the next uh, next 20 years what things will look like because you know certainly in this day and age uh, something like an electric wheelchair uh, has become uh, you know, almost a, a, a normal bit of uh, bit of technology or or kit that uh, uh, that helps people, um, but of course that was uh, that was something that wasn't uh, wasn't commonplace not too many uh, years ago. So the idea of uh, exoskeletons sounds uh, sounds pretty helpful. Any thoughts on this, Bill? Um, not really. I was thinking I was thinking that's down to mechanical stuff as well. <laughs> So it's probably, but I was I was actually wondering how you know what happened in in the mechanical engineering to make mm, that mm. so much cheaper. Yeah, I wonder if uh, something like the the work of Boston Dynamics um, in terms of the self stabilization um, of the robotics and 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 the, uh, the little walkers and what have you that they've been building uh, may be playing a factor into that in terms of. Like you said, making that uh, that industry cheaper, more effective, more efficient, to the point where these are now actually looking like viable products and viable solutions for rehabilitation. Mm, mm. Now, um, we would be remiss not to talk about what was happening uh, from a virtual uh, reality and augmented reality perspective at uh, at CES. So, uh, 
maybe uh, Ross, you can uh, you can sort of fill us in with the highlights. I know yeah, great. Uh, Len- Lenovo yeah, was- obviously were uh, you know they they had an announcement there and uh, and an, an yeah, early, early stage product to, to show off. Yeah, so I'll start with that. The, the Lenovo showed off their um, uh, new VR headset, which is utilizing the Windows 10 VR platform. Uh, now, Lenovo are one of many uh, companies that are going to be entering into the hardware space for Windows 10 VR. We've got Acer, HP, Asus, uh, Hewlett Packard. Uh, so uh, Lenovo is simply the first out the gate um, there with uh, estimated 2017 release, whatever that means, could be mid to, to later in the year. Uh, I'm an HTC Vive user myself and uh, Gear VR. I'm really interested in the Windows 10 VR platform. Uh, more importantly, I'm interested in the six degrees of tracking that the uh, Windows 10 VR headsets will be providing. They're utilizing inf- um, six degrees of tracking technology from the HoloLens. Uh, what this enables uh, you to do as a VR user is your head is being fully tracked without any additional peripheral devices. The Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive both use additional cameras, additional sensors to track your head externally whereas the windows 10 vr platform with the six degrees of tracking the headset's going to do that all for you uh, yeah so which, you is, which is addition- pretty phenomenal isn't it i mean you know for anyone that's uh, that, that's used the uh the vive and so on you know you go into a space that's kind of marked out with with you know cameras in in your four locations is that right uh to be able to to track once you you get accustomed once you get accustomed to that experience it's very very difficult to go back i started with the gear vr it's a lovely portable mobile headset um but when your head doesn't track uh it's the nausea i now get from that product because now i'm uh, accustomed to a better type of tracking via the base stations and the infrared, the IR sensors that the HTC provides for that full head tracking. So you can move left and right, up and down, rotate. Uh, yeah, I'm very I've, excited I've, about the fact that they're going to be doing that without external um, capture devices. Yeah, I was wondering about that because that was the thing that really bothered me with VR is I come out of it with a headache and a bit groggy and, you know... Yeah, so the, the six degrees of tracking is going to uh, assist with making that tracking better without the need of additional devices. One um, one design feature that I liked about the Lenovo headset is that it's utilizing the same design as the PlayStation VR, where it sits on your forehead and wraps around with the vision, the the, the headset in front of you, as opposed to resting on your nose. Uh, the biggest thing that they've done uh, is you're able to flip uh the 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 lenses up like uh like uh you know like lenses in front of your glasses so you don't have to take the entire headset off you just flip the the lenses up now for vr gaming this is great i have to take my headset off whenever i set up my computer for streaming or respond to anything you're, you're incredibly isolated with these vr experiences so being able to just flip up the lenses whenever you need to do a quick sanity check of your your surroundings without actually taking the full headset off it's a great design i'm hoping that a lot of the other uh windows 10 vr devices follow in that um like I said, we, we've got a lot of different uh, hardware providers for the Windows 10 VR platform. Lenovo is simply the first to show off what they're doing. Um, so I'm very curious to see if they've developed the status quo or if there is a requirement from Microsoft to provide some of the functionality we saw. The resolution on this device is better as well. It was very it's, good, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. 1400 by 1400 uh, for the lenses, which is higher than our than the current VR um, headsets. So all in all, it looked great. I wasn't allowed to touch it 
um, Microsoft said that no one could uh, could have a hands on, so I stroked the glass case it was in very lovingly, <laughs> and I am looking looking forward to getting my hands on it. And I, th- I think Microsoft was showing something very similar to that at um, Mobile World Congress last year, um, but it would have been an earlier version, I'm sure. Well, they've talked about they've uh, yeah, talked uh, about the concept for a little while, and now we're sort of starting to see yeah. the the partners come up with their product. Um, one positive thing is the price point, so it's somewhere between three hundred and four hundred. Uh, US dollars, yeah. so uh, you know it's uh, you know it's somewhat accessible. Uh, not and a- the specs, the specs are, are much lower than your current standard. Your standards now, you need a Intel i5 and a minimum GDX 970 graphics card. Uh, Windows 10 VR is going to be uh, available to be used with anything that supports uh, uh, DX11 or DX, uh, yeah, DirectX 11, DirectX I believe. 11. Yeah. Ross, was there much in the way of fresh content? Uh, in the VR area, admittedly, no. Um, we're at a bit of a precedence. Uh, we, we saw all of the big advancements and the products have released uh, if late last year, early this year. So uh, I say this year, 2016, sorry. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we're expecting in terms of these increases, we're not really there at this particular generation or revision, I should say. Um, there was a lot of wireless um, VR technology being shown off. Um, there was still some archaic ones in terms of like backpack PCs that you plug your Vive into, uh, but we already have um, uh, an HTC Vive supporting companies making battery packs um, and and wireless um, stations that you plug into the headset and sits on your belt to de- detach you from the HDMI and USB mm. cables with only two millisecond of delay so that was exciting there were a few different companies doing that uh mobile vr was um was very very big but again uh, there are a lot of much of a muchness we're looking at the same resolution rates we're looking at the same type of builds we're looking at utilizing uh daydream uh utilizing google cardboard there wasn't really anything in that vr sense outside of um the making the HTC Vive and Oculus Rift wireless that had any kind of wow factor for me. Um, uh, and again, we're at the cusp of Windows 10 VR coming out with the six degrees of tracking that will completely remove all of these additional um, uh, sensors I have installed in my office. So I think, uh, yeah, I don't not to say it was ho hum, but I I wasn't surprised by what I was seeing, um, and I, there wasn't any technology technology advancement advancements that uh weren't already expected or um uh or you know they were had rumors of like 4k vive 2.0 coming out but that's ludicrous we we're not at a point where we can miniaturize that type of resolution yet at all at Um, at any sort of reasonable price yeah and and no bandwidth yeah the ar the 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 ar stuff was interesting for me i was finally i finally saw uh real life applicable ar devices um and uh, outside of the likes of hololens we saw um so who was doing augmented uh, reality tech that that stood out there uh, I can't remember the name of them, but there was there's a lot of companies that are doing this. But there was a, a AR glasses for cyclists that oh, I yes, thought was yes. great. Yep. But, you know, providing head, heads up displays in terms of position, speed, um, uh, elevation, and, and what have you. They had uh, a few booth 
cyclists wearing like gadgets in the in the full lycra um there was uh another company that was providing hololens um experiences for hard hats so it was a hard hat slash glasses for for the for uh, as as a tool as opposed to an entertainment device so builders could see you know their blueprints merging with the, the area in which they're working in so it was great uh, a lot of um a lot of real life examples of of ar as a tool uh more so as a entertainment device so uh again um there wasn't any huge improvements but it was great to see the increments in that area and uh to actually see on the floor you know real life um glasses for cyclists that actually performed a specific purpose and you could see the value in a product like that uh you know which i just started cycling myself and using um uh, using wrist, um, the, you know, like a, the Gear Fit Two to track my uh, my speed and my you know heart ratedness and that. It's, the reality, reality of that is I'm looking down. Um, mm. So to, to to use AR to put everything in a Top Gun style heads up display for me is uh, that's, an, that's solving an actual problem. It's pretty mm. cool. Mm. Well, I think there's probably a lot a lot more to drill down into from uh, from uh, CES. And I'll try and put some of those in my uh, in my some bits, um, you know, links to some interesting articles there in my email uh, newsletter. So anyone that wants to sign up for that can find that at paulspain.com. Um, I think that's us for this week. Thanks, guys, for uh, for joining the podcast. Now, Bill, where do people track you down online? Um, BillBennett.co.nz is my sort of my base station, my hub, my website. Um, and Bill Bennett NZ on Twitter. And I've been getting a huge amount of Americans who think I'm the US radio, right-wing radio host, Bill Bennett, for some reason. <laughs> um, but that, this comes in waves, but there's another wave of it at the moment, which is just amazing what the stories that these people are telling me. <laughs> um, um, but no, Bill Bennett NZ. Yeah, okay, good stuff. And and Ross? R-O-S-S-M-C-D.com. That is a hard redirect to my Twitter, uh, Ross underscore McDougal. Uh, Feel free to connect with me. I was live tweeting from the floor of CES and from Lenovo, so I put up a a lot of images and a lot of videos of the, uh, the products I had my hands on. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions about any of the CES content that I put up. Just give me a ping and, uh, yeah, more than happy to have a chat. Yeah, it was it was really good this year having uh, you know having uh, particularly the Periscope the the live stuff coming from CES. You know, I felt as somebody that um, you know sort of wanted to be there, but also didn't want to be away from New Zealand yeah. right in the smack bang middle of summer. Not that we had much of a summer, um, that it was really nice to be able to have people sharing their uh, their, their streams as they were uh, in there. So uh, yeah, thanks. And for, uh, if thanks I for if I did. can interject, Bill, I I'm very glad that we're both on the show here because I have I do have a question for you. Uh, uh, someone reacted to one of my tweets about the X1 Carbon. I was in a marketing meeting with Lenovo and they cheekily called it the dongle-free workspace, which uh, got a lot of laughs. And uh, I tweeted, hashtag shots fired. Uh, you responded to a tweet that someone had replied saying they were missing the point, And I would love to pick your brains about that. Oh, oh well, well, very briefly. Um there are quite a few Windows machines which are um, dongle machines. I mean, I've got an HP Spectre which only has USB-C, and I'm I'm really happy with it. But it's it's got three ports. But you don't. But you know, the point I'm really thinking about here is that 
there is a market for people that want not supports. That's a that's a viable space. But there's also a, a class of user who really doesn't need them at all. And mm. um, and I'm not sure. I mean, I can see what why there's a sort of marketing. Um, niggle between having lots of ports and not having lots of ports, I, I, but but to me it's just a marketing thing. The um, you know it's a choice. You can have it or you can't. You, you don't have to. Um, but I also think that I don't know. It, I could it, I could be wrong, but I think Apple and HP in particular, which which also has a um, USB C only machine, that's possibly that's possibly how things are going to go for a lot of people and there's going to be another class of person who wants a device which is in a sense uh, in a sense a uh, mobile device with lots of um, ports is really like a sort of desktop in a way it's uh, like a desktop yeah I, and i'd completely agree with you one of the um we had a we had a um a sit down a session with one of the lenovo an- analysts talking about what the, the whys and the what's and the the thinking behind a lot of the uh the, the products we saw today and or while we were there sorry and they were talking very extensively about USB-C and uh how to create what they called a fry free uh power supply for usb devices and having a power supply an adapter that would operate everything from your one watt devices to 100 watt devices so they are working on that type of uh, technology so you can have that generic supply that will power everything and you could power your laptop and not fry your phone if you were to swap between the two so i agree usb-c is definitely um the where everything's going but i do appreciate i i I needed to ask and i appreciate the uh the clarification that you've provided there uh, I, I had a few of my followers ask me and uh it didn't feel like it was an answer that would have got uh, any value going back and forth over twitter so i'm no, very glad that we've had this opportunity it, it's not something you can just put into 140 characters it's no no <laughs> and i think <laughs> thank it's, you yeah you know usbc is going to mean different things for different people uh vendors like hp and lenovo obviously have a range of uh, a range of laptops so you know, if you're happy not having a whole lot of uh, traditional ports, then you can go down that track. If you want traditional ports, you can go down that yeah, track. Yeah. Um, but but Apple yeah, are cutting the flack because they're not giving people uh, those options, and you know they haven't even released their own uh, dock. Which, when you look at the likes of HP, they've got some uh, you know they've got some really good docking solutions. I found yeah, and that's one thing I've learned from. That's one thing I did learn from my time with Lenovo. You've they've got the Yoga, the ThinkPad, and the X1 Carbon, two, three entirely different. Models. Markets. Yeah, so I, I can say, Paul, yeah. I've had, I've had over the years, I must have had five or six docks, and I reckon they spend their lives in the cupboard. Yeah, but that yeah. that's just the way you work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for I me, I sit down at my desk and I will, but that's, I will dock straight into a into a laptop, so I can go onto my nice big big yeah. screen, and all, all my other gadgets are all but, sort but of tied in. But that's my point entirely that there's different machines for different people different strokes yeah yeah. different different classes of users yeah that's good yeah all right well uh thank you both for uh for joining us on this episode uh thanks to all our listeners and uh, we'll look forward to uh, being back with you next week um it was very pleasing to see so thank you to everyone who's uh subscribed or or has made the effort to tell friends about the new zealand uh, tech podcast last week i was looking at uh, itunes chart for new zealand i was very disappointed to see there was only one uh new zealand podcast in the uh out of the top 20 uh, podcasts on, on the iTunes 
iTunes charts, uh, but New Zealand Tech Podcast was it. So that that was a bit positive, but we're we're very keen to see more uh, New Zealand content this year. We're going to be working really hard to do that. Uh, if any listeners are keen to uh, to start podcasting, then uh, then definitely get uh, get in touch. All right, that's us. Thanks. Catch you next week. See ya. Thank you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.